Welcome to Exploring Possibilities. I'm your host, Cheryl Sitz, and I've created this show to demystify holistic wellness one conversation at a time. You'll get to know the person behind the practice, what inspired them to express their gifts and talents the way they do, and then we'll dive into their practice for a deeper understanding. There are so many ways that we can heal ourselves and our planet. Why not play in possibility? See what resonates for you. You'll find over three years of archived shows at journeyofpossibilities.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, and you'll never miss a show. If you do subscribe, I'd like to ask you to rate us so that others will find our show as well. Thank you so much for that. We'll introduce today's guest right after these messages from our sponsors. If you are like me, you know when a migraine is coming on. You already know you will spend hours or even days isolated in a dark room, missing out on life, missing time from work, missing time with your family and friends. Then it dawned on me, we are individuals, and the cause of migraines is unique to each of us. So why would you want to take the same medication everyone else takes? Why would you band-aid the pain and symptoms knowing the migraine will return? Isn't it time to discover the root cause of your migraine? Turns out there's a non-pharmaceutical, non-invasive migraine elimination plan. Simple tests help you understand your methylation pathway, your gene expression, your nutrigenomics, your bioenergetic field, and determine if there is a misalignment of your sphenoid bone centered in your skull. Energetic wellness consultants will help you solve your migraine mystery and put an end to migraines. Take your life back. Call today, 281-419-3355, www.energeneticwellness.com. Feel well at energeneticwellness.com. As I've met and worked with all these holistic practitioners, my life has literally transformed. So much so that I studied to learn how to be a holistic practitioner and transformational life coach so that I can pass along some of this transformation to you because life is short. We deserve to live it. Life is a journey of possibilities. Are you ready? What do you say? One session? Why not? Reach out to me at CherylSitz.com and let's play in possibility. Our new digital magazine is packed with inspirational stories and valuable tips to live a more holistic, spiritual life. Check out the premiere issue at journeyofpossibilities.com. If you like what you see, subscribe for free and get a new issue every three months delivered straight to your inbox. That's right, it's free at journeyofpossibilities.com. Practitioners, contact us for affordable advertising too. That's journeyofpossibilities.com. Hi, this is Mario with Tech Life Balance, and I've been in the IT field for about 20 years. I have a big range of experience. I've worked with PCs, I've worked with servers, I've done online marketing strategies, I do websites, I even build online communities and help produce the podcast that you're listening to right now. I've actually been involved in IT so much that I got lost in all the technology and technology was taking over me. And I'm not saying to unplug or anything like that. What I'm saying is find a balance. I know I did. It took a traumatic event for me to learn that capability and it it was a challenge. And there are obstacles and there's things you run into that sometimes you don't realize you're even doing. So I designed a program to help you do that by looking at all your technologies and just helping you embrace it in a way that it's smoothed into your life. And I like to say that we log in, log out, and break free so we can have life. Contact us at techlifebalance.net and let us know what we can help you with. 
Enjoy the podcast. Today's guest is Stevie Trujillo. Now, a mutual friend of ours is Olympic kayaking athlete Ben Quanley, and he shared on social media an Elephant Journal article that Stevie had written called, My Family is Homeless but Still Living the Dream. And I just had to know this woman better. She and her husband and now their little girl have been living on the road for the last six and a half years, and they chronicle their unlikely journey into freedom and adventures like rock climbing, surfing, meeting people, learning cultures and language, all on their website, which is nomadlyinlove.com. You gotta love a website like that. Welcome, Stevie. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Well, I loved your article. It was written from the heart and your story of... Well, I don't want to spoil your story. You want to tell us kind of how this lifestyle, you haven't always lived like this, right? No, no. We had a, a much more conventional life to start. Um, let's see, about seven years ago, I was working at a, a conferencing company in West Los Angeles. And um, at first, I was you know, the rookie of the year, the shining star, everything that was right with America. And then the Great Recession happened. And I started losing my big accounts and was quickly dispatched. So um, at that point, all of a sudden, you know, I was faced with a $1,600 a month rent bill. And my, my husband and I, we couldn't afford our lifestyle in Venice Beach, like on the boardwalk without both of us working. Right. Um, and at the same time, my husband owns uh, OutdoorPlay.com, which is a, a retail, an online retail store that sells adventure sports like climbing and hiking and kayaking gear. And of course, he's feeling the, the cash crunch that was hitting all the other businesses across America. Right. So our solution was to move into our converted sprinter van and take a one-year trip down to the south, of, uh, the tip of South America. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it turned out to be a, an incredible adventure, but it definitely it came through. Um, the decision was made a little bit more out of, of strife than, than, uh, than just it being a, like a a whim on a on a happy whim. Right. And and I think we've already hit on something really important that was why I wanted to have you on the show. When life happens to us, we may not have a choice about the circumstances that we find ourselves in, but we totally have a choice about what we do with our attitude and what we do with that situation. And I could see myself getting in a van and going, great, now I've got to live in my van. <laughs> and maybe there was some of that. I don't know. How did you get to a place where this became fun and playful? Were you pretty quick to adapt or were you kind of going through a grieving process or how did that go? Well, you know, it's funny because so the, for the first year, well, at first my husband was concerned about us living in the van together. He'd been living in his van for years uh, when he was, you know, uh, he was in the Olympic, an Olympic kayaking team when he was younger and he traveled around in a van. And for, for the years prior to me meeting him, he was rock climbing around the U.S. in his van. So for him, uh, it was no big deal. He was actually really excited to get me in the van. <laughs> but at the same time, he was a little bit concerned, you know, what's it going to be like living in such a small space? We could never, if we got in a fight, we wouldn't be able to get away from each other. Um, and, you know, I was a, a bonafide city girl. You know, I was used to getting my nails done and wearing high heels. You know, I wasn't a, I wasn't a rock climbing, kayaking <laughs> van girl. Yeah. So. Um, we decided to spend the first year actually in the States going up and down the West Coast surfing and just sort of testing, testing it out. And we were, um, we were shocked to find out how well it went. But, I mean, at first, I think we had, we got into more scuffs, you know, than the normal just because you're in a small space, but it kind of forced us in a lot of ways to, to learn to communicate better, to say please and thank you, to be more, um, 
to be more conscious of, of our behavior and our yeah. attitude. Yeah, and probably be nicer. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> a little so kindness good. goes a long way in a short in a small space, right? <laughs> it really does. So, I mean, it definitely polished us, you know. So I feel like now we have a much stronger connection um, than we did when we lived in Venice, and by virtue of our our, our close quarters. <laughs> yeah. How long had you been married when all of this happened? How long had you been together, actually? Well, we've been together ten years, but we actually didn't get married until we were on the road. Oh. Um, so. After spending a year in the U.S. and coming to the conclusion that we weren't going to kill each other, <laughs> we decided to, um, and no one was going to be like hitchhiking home from Honduras or anything, <laughs> we decided to um, to head south. So the, the plan was going to take a one-year trip to the tip of South America and come back. And um, along the way in El Salvador, we decided to get married. We decided there was no better time like the present. And um, I, we used a Lonely Planet guide instead of a Bible, and some friends <laughs> officiated our, our wedding, <laughs> uh, some fellow nomadic friends, and um, we've been married ever since. That is so cool. Yeah, it was, um, it was beautiful. It was beautiful and spontaneous and stress-free. <laughs> well, so I have to ask, I'm sure you've both had to adapt, undoubtedly, but it sounds like as far as a lifestyle, you've made a bigger shift than he has in, in terms of you're probably not still going and getting your nails done all the time, or I'm just guessing, and, and we're no. in the high heels <laughs> and the whatever. <laughs> no, definitely not. So yeah. how, how does that feel to you? Do you feel like you left your old self behind? Do you miss her? Do you, what is that like? No, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, she's still in me and I absolutely, if I wanted to go get my nails done or, you know, occasionally I, I, I wear heels even just a Seven Eleven or whatever, just because I I feel like it. But to be honest with you, my life is so much richer, my my life experience that I don't need all the accoutrements. I don't even miss the accoutrements. You know, I don't. We don't have um. We share one car between the two of us. We share one phone between the two of us. Our car is a, a 1980 Isuzu Trooper. Our bounder that we live in right now is you know is we bought it used as well. It's, I don't even remember what year it is, but it's not new. <laughs> and um and the downsizing thing suits us because it affords us our lifestyle and our lifestyle affords us the ability to spend so much time together, raise our daughter, to travel, to rock climb. And all those things have made me so much happier and, and healthier that I don't miss the things. I call them the things that don't matter. You know, that, that there's just the things that cost money and that take up time that really do nothing to make me feel more fulfilled in life. Yeah. You know, I think we, we kind of get so busy, we go to work and then we need to go buy this stuff and then we bring the stuff home and then we got to have a place to put the stuff and we got to, we, we really can build a life around the stuff and not even realize that the life that we're living is to support the stuff that we are keeping or, or exactly. whatever. So you must feel freer in some sense to not have all that stuff to keep up with. Completely. I mean, it's just definitely, we get trapped in this cycle of debt and consumption that owns us and robs us of our, our happiness. It siphons it out, you know, like one material item at a time or, you know, like one credit card bill at a time. Right. <laughs> um, but, I mean, of course, it's not, it's not to say that we live completely out of the side of the system. You know, we haven't, like, pitched a teepee on the side <laughs> of the road or anything like that. You know, we, we work hard. Um, we actually work really hard in order to be able to afford our lifestyle. But we also have downsized tremendously so that way we can afford this lifestyle without having to have, without me having to work in the corporate world like I did, which would root us in one spot and would also take, um, take, keep us away from each other and our child. 
and prevent us from traveling and climbing and, and doing all the things we love doing. Well, and what you call work is really kind of play, isn't it? Aren't you Aren't you guys doing the outdoor adventures as work? Because I worked at REI for a while. I get it. Outdoor adventures is play to me. <laughs> it is. It is. Unfortunately, there's definitely a hefty load of, of business a business side that goes to all of that. Right. But um, we're always chasing the internet, and we have to put in. My husband specifically puts in probably at least fifty hours a week um, at his computer. But because we're working. Um, on the road and we're together, we can, he can, he's, it's flexible. He can arrange his schedule however he wants. So three days a week, we're also outside climbing. That's awesome. And, and that brings me to the child that you've brought into the world during the middle of this living homelessly, as you put it. <laughs> yes. How was yeah. that? So, you know, like I said, when we moved into the Sprinter van and we took off, it was supposed to be a one-year trip where it was going to be sort of our last hurrah before we settled down, before we get married and have a kid. And I came back and we got a corporate job and we bought a house and we carried on. But I like to say that I like it happened somewhere in Nicaragua. You know, we were, we just decided that this lifestyle made us feel so happy and fulfilled that we wanted to do it indefinitely. And um, <laughs> But then we were left with the problem, what do we do about having a, a child? And we, we struggled with it for a few months until we got to Venezuela. And just so you know, in, in our life today, everything is pretty much um, like time happens more geographically than it does by dates anymore. We always, That's cool. I, I don't <laughs> what country we were in as opposed to like what year it was. <laughs> but when we were in Venezuela, um, we had made some friends that were street vendors. We'd picked them up to, to give them a ride. They were hitchhiking. And we ended up traveling with them, with them for over a month. And they were, became, they became so dear to us, mostly because of the different perspective that they, that they brought to our lives. And I remember one, uh, one night, one of them, the, the guy said to us, Guillermo is his name. He told us, he's like, well, I don't understand, you know, why you can't have a child anywhere. I mean, people have babies in Venezuela. And I mean, it was a simple thing to say, but for some reason, it just, you know, it made us realize that we were boxing ourselves in, um, with like pre, I don't know by I, I don't know how to say it, like this default plan that yeah. I realized that this default American dream that really wasn't our own. We had already realized that consumerism wasn't going to make us happy and that making lots of money wasn't going to make us happy and going back to the the, the rat race in the United States wasn't going to make us happy, but we ha- didn't think for some reason that we could then have a child unless we went back and did that. Yeah. <laughs> it was silly. So, um when he said that we realized, yeah, why not? Why couldn't we just have a baby on the road? And so, uh about a couple months later, I ended up pregnant in Peru, and we decided to give birth to our, our daughter there. And by the time she was two months old, we put her in the van and continued on through the rest of Peru and Bolivia and Argentina and Chile and Brazil, all with her in tow. Wow. Yeah. That made a small space smaller. It must have. No matter how much you love your child, I've raised little ones, and boy, that makes a small space smaller. You know, because of our downsized lifestyle and the fact we lived in a van, we told everyone, please, you know, don't buy us things. No, no, we don't need diaper genies. We don't need, you know, like, yeah. we don't need any of this stuff. But even with all of that, you know, having said all of that, our van was filled yeah. with baby stuff. We had done really, before we used to have this rule, like one thing in, one thing out. Right. And we, we adhered to it. We were really good about keeping our space clean and tidy and not, you know, not stuffing our cupboards, but after we had our daughter, uh, in order to go to bed at night, we had to move everything from the bed to the front seat. So it was <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I want to talk about something that you touched on, that default lifestyle. I actually just wrote an article for Elephant Journal about that, about how I 
how I realized that the dream that I was living wasn't even my dream, that it was society's dream for me. It was my family's dream for me and, and how I shifted that into living my own dream. And that's exactly what you're describing. It's like we have these stories about, well, to be a parent, it needs to look like this. Or, well, of course we have to have this kind of job and, and it's eight to five. We got to go to work and we got to make more money if we want this or that. We have all these belief systems and we don't even realize we have them. Yep. And, you know, it's beautiful that you met somebody from another culture because I think that's one of the values of travel that doesn't get discussed enough. It's the ability to have somebody from another culture look at you and go, well, why not? And and it takes you out of what you consider to be assumed and known and into possibility. You know, yep, absolutely. And that has been um, an incredible experience. I, I call it being culturally ambiguous. So we spent so much time out of the country, um, about five years. Uh, in, in every in lots of other countries, all Latin, predominantly Latin American countries, and what that did is it it didn't make me want to become Latin American. It just made me more aware, like more of a witness to the choice that my belief systems that came from my culture, and then I could see belief systems from other people's culture, and I, all of a sudden I realized that I could choose. Yes. <laughs> I could choose what I wanted to believe, and I didn't really have to adhere to any culture. I could I could ask myself what was really authentic to to me. That was what kind of lifestyle did I want to create that was going to make me happy? And um, yeah, it's been gold. <laughs> that is so perfect. That is freedom. You've just defined freedom. I allowed myself permission to say, what do I really want and how can I create that? Mm-hmm. Perfect. There is a big trend toward downsizing. The last digital magazine that I just put out, the cover story was Rob Greenfield. Rob has downsized to 111 possessions on his back that he carries in his backpack from having a home to a tiny house to he's gone through the stages, really interesting story. And I know that this is part of a greater trend that I see of people shedding their possessions, living with less. Along with that come certain things that we wouldn't expect. And I just met with somebody today who said, you know, I think I might have got rid of too many things. So (laughs) what do you have to say to somebody who's considering starting down that road of downsizing, maybe going to a tiny house or something like that? What, what do you, if anything, do you regret anything? Did you get rid of too much? What um, might they want to consider before they do that? The one thing I gave up that I kind of regret is my book collection. I am a avid reader and I had an enormous book collection that I loved, but because we, uh, we'd been living on the, originally I put them in storage, but after we'd been living on the road for a year and I realized we were going to be living this lifestyle indefinitely, I felt bad about having them, my books boxed up, not in circulation. So I came to the decision that it would be better if I gave them away to the Salvation Army and put them back in circulation so that way people could enjoy them because that's what books are, they're meant to be read. Right. But I admit it's still painful. Yeah. (laughs) I had a really Buddhist attitude going into it and, but All these years later, I still think about my my lost books. Oh, yeah. I think there are some things. Well, yeah. So so Mario's over here holding up his Kindle. Do you do the digital format of those now? I I do. I do. And I love it. I love my Kindle and it it works. I still get to read a ton of books. And in some ways, it's fantastic because now I can multi, I can read 10 books at the same time (laughs) and and don't have to, you know, have all that space taken up. Right. Or waste the, the paper. But I think my advice to people would be that it's not downsizing in and of itself doesn't do much. The whole point is how much do you need to downsize in order to be free? I mean, that's the, that's, for instance, if I wanted to, if it was all about just downsizing, we'd still live in a van, but we don't. When we got back to the United States, we sold the van and we bought an RV. 
because an RV is, suits our needs more. We have a child. We need more space. We want to be comfortable. We just don't want it to be so excessive that our comfort actually starts taking away our freedom, that convenience starts taking away our freedom. There has to be that balance. So I think sometimes like people take it so far that they're, that they actually lose freedom too. You know, they don't have the, for instance, I, I definitely always have to make sure I have a, a set of heels and a nice outfit because I want the freedom to be able to go out and go dancing and have a fancy dinner if I want to when I'm traveling. Yeah. It's not, um, but at the same time, if I, you know, have a closet full of fancy stuff and I'm working all the time and I never get to go out <laughs> because I'm right. you know, working so hard to be able to, su- to support all that fancy stuff, then that doesn't work either. Absolutely. I think, so I think the first question really is, what's the lifestyle that makes you happy? And then how do you scale your, uh, your, your stuff and your life and your consumption in order to, to manifest that, to make that sustainable? Yeah. Does it's, that make sense? Absolutely. It's funny how the conversations that I have seem to, to T-bone into one another. So again, another conversation that I had today, we were talking about how we are kind of culturalized to build a lifestyle around what we do. Well, I'm an accountant, so I do this and then I can do this around that. Or I, I'm this, so then I can yep. do, or I'm an entrepreneur, so I, I can do it this way. We're, we're used to anchoring by what we do. And this seems to be an era where we are, uh, we are giving ourselves permission, if we choose to, to step out of that and say, this is who I am, and how mm-hmm. can I wrap what I do around that to support that, which is a completely different point of reference. It is, and I, it, yep, that's exactly it. Now, <laughs> start with who we are, what kind of lifestyle we want that's going to that's gonna honor our needs, and then back into it from there. Yeah, that is freedom. Well, you must have a ball. Tell me something about your adventure. <laughs> so you went to South America and, and, and now what? Now we are, we're right now we're actually in the throes of like, I call it the, the underbelly. <laughs> it's like we're doing all the stuff that's not fun, which is, uh, paperwork. We're currently in the throes of getting our residency in Spain. So that way we can live in Europe for the next few years and slow live and climb and experience all those different um, countries and cultures and food and languages. So we're we're super excited about it, but it takes an enormous amount of um, planning and preparation and logistics and, and yeah, and paperwork. Yeah, yeah, paperwork I, it still makes the world go round somehow, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. So are you going to take the RV over there? No. So we're selling the RV. We're selling RV because it's no longer, it it's, doesn't suit our lifestyle anymore. You know, it's not going to, it won't fit our lifestyle in Europe. So we're actually, again, looking for a small van, something like the, about the size of a Westphalia, something like that, something that can, that'll work better in European roads and easier to park and just make us a little, a little lighter, travel right. lighter. Right. And, and your daughter is, does she get restless? It's not, it's not that much time on the road, right? Just because you're living in a van or an RV or whatever, you're not driving the majority of the time, right? You're living the majority not, of the time? Yes, we're living. When we were single and it was just us, we did a lot of driving um, and we moved really fast. But then as time went on, we started um, moving slower and slower and slower. <laughs> um, and now we barely we're out of crawl. <laughs> we definitely spent, we spent, like three months usually in one spot before we consider moving to the next spot. And are you homeschooling her then when she's, she's actually ready to start school, right? At this point, or she already has? I am homeschooling and we've already started. Um, but I, I, I centered it around play. So even though we're, she's bilingual, she speaks Spanish and English perfectly. And 
she's very precocious uh, when it comes to language and words and reading and she's a, a, a pleasure to teach because she's natural. I think all kids are really, they're just hungry to learn, yeah. especially at this age. So it's, it's really fun and we're keeping it light and fun. Perfect. Right and she's getting educated by life, which is the best school there is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, as time goes on, I'll probably take a more classic approach to homeschooling, but um, including that road schooling aspect where we're designing lesson plans around where we are, you know, studying the gladiators when we're in Rome would be much more fun than studying the gladiators or, you know, Roman history at a desk in Los Angeles. <laughs> Absolutely. Sign me up. I want to come for that lesson. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So tell me some other favorite moments or memories or things that you might feel guided to share with our audience about what life can be like living on the road. Because, you know, somebody could look at you guys and go, wow, so they're living the hippie life. They're, you know, hippie dippy in a van. (laughs) Do you get that ever? You know, it's funny. We do. And that's one of the things I always remind people that, um, believe it or not, we look a lot like, I think, middle America in a sense. You know, we work really hard. Uh, like 50 hours a week, at least, you know, where we have the same, we paid the same bills, we have health insurance, we're saving for retirement. It's, um, you know, we, I don't know, it's so much of our lifestyle just seems normal. We take care of our child, you know, we care about her well-being, we want to educate her. With so many of the choices and the, the things that we think about, our concerns are the same as everyone else's. We've just had this alternative lifestyle. We just sort of have a different way of getting there, you know? Yeah. Or maybe I just... Maybe I've just become inured to our lifestyle and I don't realize how, what a hippie we are. <laughs> I don't know. Are, are we not normal? Maybe we're not. <laughs> I don't know what is normal anymore. Normal seems to be changing right now and that's kind of exciting to me. Yeah, definitely. So your work is all based on the outdoor adventure now, right? That's your income. That is your, both of your means of supporting this fun lifestyle that you have. It is. I help. I um. I help my husband a little bit with marketing, and I handle a few accounts and stuff um, at Outdoor Play. But for the most part, he handles um, Outdoor Play, and I bring in some extra money writing. But that's definitely not what um what pays our bills. It's just sort of the maybe a little fun money for for me. Oh, I think you at least have one book <laughs> in you, don't you think? Of of the adventure I, of how you went from mainstream America to this amazing lifestyle and family. I do. I'm, I'm working on a on a memoir right now, actually, by the by the same name, Nomadly in Love. Good. I love that. That is such a cool title, and and I love your website, and and it just seems like you guys are really onto something that I think we've kind of gone. Well, they use the word conscious a lot right now because we're here to raise consciousness, but I think we've gone unconscious when it comes to our daily life and the, the idea that we can create anything we want to create. The imagination is the limit. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think the other thing that's been a huge advantage to our lifestyle that came as a bonus that I hadn't anticipated is all the time we spend in nature. You know, and that's as a city girl, I don't think I ever realized how much we need that. How I think there's just something uh, intrinsic in human beings that we're really supposed to live a little bit closer to the land than than we do. I mean, eighty percent of Americans live in urban areas, and we're so far removed. From the cycles of nature to, I mean, even something as simple as um, being able to, to to recognize a storm cloud. I mean, it sounds, I know it sounds silly to say, but having grown up in Los Angeles, I, I just learned how to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, so, or where food really comes from. I mean, it, besides a package at the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and through our travels, you know, especially 
spending more time in developing nations, you definitely see firsthand. You know, we stated houses where they, you know, killed the chicken and then served it that night for dinner. And it was the chicken that they were raising, of course, in their backyard. So it was much, much closer to the earth. And it was, it was enlightening in so many ways. I imagine. Well, and now that we've wandered around to food, I'm sitting here going, okay, if I lived in a van, what would I do to cook dinner? And what does that even look like? How do you prepare your meals or what do you do? Well, that's, I, I actually really enjoy, well, this, this, it's hard because usually I only have one or two burners. So that part's difficult. And your refrigerator's so small, you can't buy for more than really one day at a time. But that's what was great too. Every day I had to go to find the markets and go shop for that night's dinner. And in that process, you get to know all the people at the markets and, you know, the guy that's selling the eggs and the, the woman that's selling the fruits and vegetables. And in Latin America, that's everyone is, that's what it is. It's basically little mercados everywhere. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and then you end up developing a sense of community. It doesn't take long before you know everyone and everyone knows your name and you've struck up conversation. Somebody invites you over for dinner. You have a new friend. The kids are playing. You know, it's, it's a, it's a great, way to live, I think. And it's not something that I had ever done before, before I did what we normally do. You know, you go to the grocery store and you buy, you fill up your fridge for the week and that's it. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I'm just amazed at your lifestyle. And I wonder, you talk about saving for retirement and such. Do you guys have like any timeline that you see where, okay, we do this for 10 more years and then we might want to settle somewhere or are you just living one day at a time? We're just living one day at a time. Sometimes, I mean, we change plans so often based on what we what feels right at that moment in time that we just realize realistically that it's silly for us to even project 10 years into the future, 20 years into the future. We have no idea whether we'll still want to be doing this location-independent nomad thing or are we going to want to... Sometimes we throw around the idea of starting like a permaculture farm somewhere in Peru. Or, yeah. uh, but the, the truth of the matter is we have little to no idea about anything except for the next six months. <laughs> I think it's so interesting that you went to Peru and had your child and, and talk about the permaculture farm in Peru. And, and <laughs> I have such a love for Peru. I've been down there. I'm going my third time this year and I just love it. And I've talked so many times about maybe maybe in a few years, that's where I'd like to settle. But but yeah. like you, I don't think we even know what the world is going to look like in a few years. Everything's changing so much right now. So it'd be really hard to have much of a plan other than to trust and to live one day at a time and enjoy life right now. I completely agree. I mean, I, the, the world is changing in, in so many ways. In so many ways, it's I see consciousness becoming more open and I see people waking up and I, and I see people, you know, having, becoming more environmentally conscious, which is great. And and, I don't know, and more tolerance and less racism and more compassion. And yet at the same time, then sometimes you could maybe look in the wrong direction and not see that. Yes. You know? Yes, (laughs) definitely. So yeah, I, I think, um, I do think the best advice these days probably is just to, is to stay present and kind of read the omens as you go. Got to stay. I think that's another thing. Reason why I really like our, our lifestyle as well is that it keeps us keeps us nimble. I feel like we can make choices um, based on our truth in that moment, as opposed to getting locked into a decision that maybe isn't the right decision in five years from now. Right. Um, we're able to stay very. Um, we can do that. We can do that litmus test a lot and ask like, is this working for us? Are we happy with this? Are we? We can recalibrate our life quite frequently to suit our needs at that present moment which I find to be very helpful 
for anyone, I would think that's very helpful. Staying present, staying conscious and going, okay, is this still what? Because sometimes we get so busy with pursuing what we decided we wanted that we didn't realize that we stopped even wanting it. And by the time we get there, we're going, okay, great, but I don't even want this anymore. Yeah. I'm curious what kinds of challenges, if any, you tend to face in this path. What are your biggest challenges in living this lifestyle? Our biggest challenge, I'd say, is, um, you know, we think it's really important for our daughter to have um, strong connections with people besides just us. But obviously, since we're a really small, you know, family unit and we're traveling all the time, that's something we have to consciously create for her. Right. So, you know, that's part of the reason why we came back to the States. Uh, it'll, we will have now spent two years in the States before we go to Europe. And we did that so she could start develop, developing stronger connections with her, you know, grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins. And like, but likewise, you know, she developed a really strong connection with her nanny in Argentina. And since we've left, she's come up to visit us twice and we've gone down to Argentina to visit her once. So we also honor that friendship and connection and just try to, but that's something we have to do deliberately. We, we also, we take responsibility for that. We've decided we only want one child and we're going to live this location independent lifestyle so we have to we have to basically make that happen for our daughter it sounds like you're creating a really global community for yourselves and for your family and that's where it's at she's going to see the world as her community where some of us only ever see our subdivision or our office or our apartment complex as our community it's true and these days thank goodness it's so easy to actually maintain these friendships you know i am a while ago i did an interview of a family uh that has been road schooling for, I think, 10 years. And um, so now the two oldest ones are actually in college. And um, it was a fascinating family. I did the article for Mind, Body, Green. And I wish I could remember the family's name because I would uh, tell you right now. <laughs> but anyways, um, the, the daughter is now a writer. And she was saying how she, that's how she feels, is that it wasn't that she was isolated and didn't have friends because she was moving so much. It's that she has friends around the world now. And she's learned to maintain those friendships through Skype and email and, and FaceTime. And it's absolutely, it, that's what people do. You know, it's, it's kind of naive to think that you have to grow up in a neighborhood with you know, the person next door and that's for you to have a friend or, or to go to a public school and share a classroom with, you know, 50 peers your same age in order to, to have a peer group. Yeah. I think it's, I think technology is helping us to see the oneness of our planet and our, our human community that spans the globe because it does make it so much easier to stay in touch. Yeah, it definitely is. I think it's a boon. <laughs> <laughs> boon to society. I'm still going with it, but technology is good. <laughs> yeah. I love to wrap up my interviews by asking the question, if you have a parting thought that you'd like to leave listeners with today about your lifestyle, about what you've learned along this journey, um, something that might help them on their journey? I think I'll end with one of my favorite quotes by Toni Morrison. And uh, she asks in Song of Solomon, want to fly? First, you got to give up the shit that weighs you down. And I love that quote because, I mean, it, it can be applied with about physical stuff, right? You know, all the, the bills and the stuff and the, the couches and the TVs and all mm -hmm. those things we think we need. But more importantly, I think it's about those self-limiting thoughts that weigh you down, all the, the boxes that we put ourselves in. And I think we have the, the biggest start of the journey really starts with that. What's weighing you down and what, can, what do you need to let go of so that way you can fly? Wow. What a great parting thought. I love it. Stevie Trujillo. And again, the website is nomadlyinlove.com. 
com. Stevie, thanks so much for being with us and enjoy your travels. And I am so glad that we're connected so I can follow you on social media. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was so much fun. And I just want to tell the audience too, that it was my first podcast. This was a a really exciting, uh, exciting first for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yay. You did it like a pro. (laughs) Thank you. Would you like to be a guest on Exploring Possibilities? Drop me a note at info at journeyofpossibilities.com. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next time on Exploring Possibilities.